As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. Today, Blues do the derby double over Fulham. Cold Penmas at it again. The injury list is clearing up. There's a baffling tie-in with a movie. And the women's team are back with a win, eventually. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Well, that's the biggest ruckus Argyle, of course, at Stamford Bridge since they took that FA Cup fourth round tie to extra time back in 2022. Uh, we will touch on that, I'm sure, as we look back on the weekend's win against Fulham and more besides. It's me, Matt. I'm in the company today of two of the Athletics' finest. Good morning, Simon Johnson. Morning. Luke Bosch is back with us too. You OK, Luke? Yeah, very cold, but optimistic heading into the week. OK, I mean, why not? Stamford Bridge is a fortress. Once again, uh, Chelsea got the job done against Fulham, a game dripping in 12.30 kickoff energy for the most part. We're going to break it down next. Can Palmer maintain his 100% record from the spot? He can! Superb penalty! What a season he is having! So often the player that Chelsea turned to for inspiration and he breaks the deadlock in this West London derby. I think we fully deserve from the end. We were better side than, than Fulham and I think so pleased, so pleased because of the victory and because we needed the three points. 
So, Simon, let's deal with uh, the upcoming picture in the room first. Maurizio Pochettino, the first half wasn't the first half we expected. Something happened before the game that I can't explain, but it impacted the team. I'm going to go ahead and guess this was something to do with the promotion of the film Argyle and uh, the sort of brouhaha around that. So this is a film that has been put out by a production company that Todd Bowley owns. Was it that distracting and did it kind of do its job because it's been sort of universally panned, but everybody's talking about the film and now knows the name of it. So yeah, there's no such thing as bad publicity. I mean, the the first sort of indication I had of it was the day before at the press conference when I rocked up and it, it was a lot busier in the room than normal. There, There were, there was lots of people, random people around just going, what, this seems odd. This is Fulham Chelsea playing, right? It's not. It's not. It's not a Champions League big game or something. And then Pochettino was asked about this. The very first question was asked about this figurine that was on his uh, desk uh, on the sort of front table where he sits behind. And yeah, it's just all very odd. And then and then he even said right at the end, "Oh, can I take this?" And someone suddenly went, "No, no, you can't." And it was all about this film, and it was just, yeah, it was really random, and um, and nothing quite as random as what we saw at the game itself. Very bizarre, very divisive. I don't think it's worked in terms of the fan base and how they feel about what's going on at the club at the moment. But in terms of yes, if you if you're a film promoter, you want people to sort of know about the film. I saw a trailer for the film come up on TV over the weekend and I went, yeah, that's the film that, that's connected with Chelsea. So it has worked, but in terms of, yeah, how Chelsea fans feel about it, I, I don't think it's hit the right chord. Mm. Yeah, Matthew Vaughan is a director. He's a Chelsea fan. He's been pitch side plenty of times before. Um, Luke, is this just something that we have to accept in, in modern football, these kind of tie-ins? I'm just looking on Manchester United's website and they have an official global mattress and pillow partner, an official coffee partner and an official skincare partner, among others. So is this just football in, in 2024 and this is how clubs make money? Yeah, completely. I think talking about Man United, you know, there was this image doing the rounds on X, formerly known as Twitter over the weekend. Uh, that encouraged, you know, had a pre-match checklist for fans. And one of the things to do was get your match NFT. And, you know, the fact that Man United are still flogging NFTs in 2024 says a lot about how... Even John Terry's given up on those. How backwards they are. Well, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, in the day, and, you know, as we record on, on Monday, FFP, PSR are the acronyms of the day. And all these revenue streams, however annoying they might be, you know, at Stamford Bridge or on the website or on the the app, they do all help clubs remain profitable and remain above board and not attract the attention, hopefully, of the Premier League and UEFA powers that be. And, you know, we've seen and we will see that certain clubs are falling foul of those. And, you know, even some of the bigger clubs, you know, Man United, for example, are, you know, kind of briefing out that they can't really afford to spend this window and they're limited by loans, whereas Chelsea for now it seems are not in that that same boat so you know maybe it does kind of work yeah therabody by the way are the official percussive therapy device partner of manchester united um so this is the way that we're going not the first time chelsea have done something like this google goose hitting sister act and see what comes up listener uh, you'll be surprised we probably ought to get to the game 
I suppose. We've got plenty of tweets on it. Uh, Louis says, still not amazing, but better. Obvious positives are Palmer. Brackets, where would we be without him? Close brackets. Enzo and returning players can only hope we see performances improve. Peter, five at the back just makes so much sense. That's what happened when Chilwell came on. Prasanna says, good to wrap up the win before a mini winter break. Apart from the Borough defeat, it's been a decent run of games and a bit of momentum building up. Uh, Liam Toomey was there for the Athletic. Let's hear from him inside the stadium. Anthony Taylor and his assistants have just walked down the tunnel in front of me to booze. Can you believe it? What short memories Chelsea fans at Stamford Bridge have, given that he awarded that penalty to Raheem Sterling in first half injury time that Cole Palmer converted. The difference, the only difference in this very tight, very tense West London derby. He didn't feel that tense actually in the first half. The first half was extraordinarily flat. The biggest cheer was for William when he went over in front of the Matthew Harding stand to take a corner and they went into a rousing rendition of his song. And the only other intrigue were the men in dark green jackets in front of the press box that kept standing up every 10 minutes to brush their teeth or pose checking their watches. Apparently, Todd Bowley's production company have made a film. Uh, you'll probably hear about it. I'm not going to publicise it anymore because I feel like I'm doing my job for them. My point is nothing really happened in the first half. Fulham stifled Chelsea. Chelsea had a lot of the ball. They won it back quite high up without really generating many shot attempts. And that goal in first half injury time came at the perfect moment for them. It was absolutely brutal for Fulham. But Chelsea, this Chelsea, never put the other team away. It, you know, it always feels like opponents have a way back. Fulham never felt like they were out of it. And as they started pushing forward in the second half, more bodies, more purpose over the halfway line, Chelsea got nervier and nervier, and it became astonishingly open, considering that Chelsea ostensibly had a lead to protect. There were just a lot of uh, opportunities for Fulham to really trouble George Petrovic. And it was very, very tense in the end, very, very nervy, much more nervy than it should have been, had the feel of a siege. There were a couple of dangerous free kicks, one that William whipped just over the crossbar. Fulham weren't very good, and yet the fact that they still gave Chelsea such a scare probably tells you more about where Chelsea are right now. They got the win, a win that I feel maybe staves off what could have been a mutiny at Stamford Bridge after Middlesbrough, and we'll see where it goes from here. So, Simon, we got one change from the team that started against Middlesbrough. I think it's probably the one we were all predicting, right, with Armando Breuer coming back in and, and giving Chelsea that that focal point in place of Noni Madweke. Uh, yeah, that's just what we were expecting, really, otherwise, in terms of the lineup. Yeah, I, th- I think so. The team has kind of picked itself, by and large, in recent weeks, again, due to the, the injury list. Uh, you know, again, people will be talking about Breuer. I, the reason why I like Breuer is... He can head the ball. When you sort of think of Nicholas Jackson, Jackson's threat was very much, and I use threat with inverted commas, you know, for those that aren't a fan of his, it was very much on the ground only. His heading of all his attributes, it seems to be the weakest, whereas Broyer does carry some kind of threat in the air, um, as we saw with that that header that he, he aimed towards the, the near post and uh, flash wide. But yeah, people will sort of see his performance and again argue that perhaps it's, that there's a need for a, for another striker, particularly in light of Pochettino's comments 
about Nkunku's hip injury in that pre-match press conference I, I referred to earlier, it is a bit of a worry that um, this hip has suddenly um, become a lot more serious than first feared. Although Pochettino then played down, he's a classic kind of says one thing in a, in a press conference and then, oh, I didn't say that in the next one, <laughs> which makes me think, and by no means have I, am I saying this is what happened, but it makes you think whether someone's had a word in, in the meantime and said, yeah, please don't say that because uh, we don't want you to say that. But yeah, in, in terms of the team, I think it. we, we all know his formation, pretty much who's going to play where. And it wasn't an emphatic victory, but who cares, right? You know, that's four home wins, in a row, which I think the most damning stat of, of all is when it was announced that this is the first time for nearly four years that Chelsea have won four home games in a row, which shows that Chelsea's sort of downturn started long before the new owners turned up as well. It, it's not just a new owners thing. Chelsea haven't been the dominant force, certainly at Stamford Bridge, for quite a while now. So at least they've got the home form seemingly fixed. It's the away form they've got to sort of attend to next. Yeah, and those four home wins all came behind closed doors, didn't they, back in um, in 2020? Uh, feels like maybe, Luke, a tide was going to turn in, in terms of the home supporters had Palmer not put that penalty away at the end of the first half. It was just starting to be a little bit of disgruntlement, wasn't there? And, and it was kind of a classic case of, of what we've seen so often at Stamford Bridge this season with teams coming and defending deep and, and saying to Chelsea, we don't think you've got the quality to to break us down. Let's see if you can do it. And, and that's kind of borne out by the fact Chelsea had 17 shots at goal, but only three of them were on target. Yeah, I think Chelsea did really struggle to kind of get in behind Fulham, particularly as the half wore on. I think Enzo Fernandez had that kind of one lofted through ball over to Raheem Sterling very early on. But apart from that, I think, you know, Chelsea struggled to get in behind and Fulham defend very well. I think Marco Silva, I'm continually impressed by him as a head coach when you look at the sort of raw materials that Fulham have. You know, that's a kind of story for another day. But yeah, as you say, <laughs> Matt, anyone familiar with the football manager game We'll, uh, we'll know the importance of scoring just before half-time. Um, and the game likes to remind you of that all the time. But yeah, it was, and you know, that kind of opened up the second half, which was a little bit better. And I think certainly Cole Palmer, I thought actually, you know, Palmer had looked quite almost shy in that first half before the goal. He hadn't really got into the game, but, you know, the confidence, you know, that he showed taking the penalty and the confidence that he exuded thereafter, having got on the score sheet, I think, you know, flicks, first-time passes, dribbles, you know, it was all suddenly there in the second half. And I think it's, in a way, that's kind of encouraging, but also not worrying. But you'd like to see him do those things before he scored. But nonetheless, it is, it's very encouraging that he, he was definitely Chelsea's best player after the goal. And encouraging, Simon. Obviously, it was he who set up the goal. His pass that saw uh, Diop foul Sterling. But encouraging from a Palmer perspective that he had his worst game for Chelsea a couple of days before. And even given his youth and inexperience, he was able to quickly put that behind him and, and be the influential figure in this match. Yeah, I think that's why why he stood out from day one, to be honest, that he's not afraid. He doesn't let things sort of get to him. He's got that personality to express himself. Now, can he do it for 90 minutes? I think he's only human. He, he's, he's a young young kid at the end of the day playing his first full season. We shouldn't forget that. But to set up the penalty in itself with that beautifully disguised reverse ball 
And touch wood, he looks incredibly confident for the penalty spot. Let's hope it continues. There's no uh, stupid stop-start, funny run-ups and then passing it to the other side. Um, I much prefer Cole Palmer's technique of of picking a spot and going for it and putting it away. But top scorer of the club, um, it says it all really. And his meteoric rise continues. It'd just be nice if some more of his teammates would sort of step up to, to his level and perform at the level that he's playing at. And then Chelsea will then become a, a proper force to be reckoned with. Yeah, we'll talk through some uh, individuals who maybe did perform pretty well on Saturday. But before that, Luke, the other key moment of the game, which actually came before the penalty, was the challenge from Malo Gusto on Willian, which was almost an exact replica of the one he got sent off for against Aston Villa. Was it? Was he lucky here not to see a red card? Well, it's an interesting one, Matt, because I'm someone that has Malagusto in my fancy Premier League team. So I was quite relieved that he only got a yellow card. But I think it's one of those where if the referee had given a straight red card, I don't think it would have been reviewed with VAR. I don't think it would have been overturned. I don't think he would have had too many complaints as it was. It went the yellow card. And I think this is I can see an argument why. You know, Silver and Fulham after the game were were quite annoyed and perplexed because in keeping with some of the other decisions we've seen, that Gusto red card, I think people were drawing comparisons to the Curtis Jones red card from a few weeks ago. I think Chelsea have kind of got away with one there, to be honest. Yeah, I think it was worse. I think it was a lot worse. The Villa one, I thought he was quite unfortunate because he won the ball. He went for the ball in a 50-50 and his foot accidentally rolled over the top of the ball and then for the um, the VAR decision, they freeze-framed the, the image of his studs in Dinya's shin, which kind of made the, the referee's mind up before he'd even seen the, the sort of the tackling context. Whereas this one, I just thought, oh, the moment I saw it, just went, that's bad. You know, studs up showing into someone's leg is not not good. And William, of all people, how can you do that to William, you nasty... He didn't get the notification, did he? Everyone was chanting his name and delighted to see him back. Like, that's William. You don't, you don't do that to William. Well, clearly Gusto wasn't pleased to see him back. It's like, yeah, have that. But as I as I sort of tweeted, sort of cheekingly, noddingly, I went, oh, does two wrongs make a right? I think you should, I don't think he should have been sent off against Villa, but I think he should have gone on, on Saturday. But So maybe there was some form of justice for Gusto himself, but obviously Fulham were... I think rightly uh, felt a bit grieved. We mentioned William there. Liam's post-match piece focused on Chelsea's love for him and the contrast of that to the current squad and coach. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up if you aren't a subscriber and you want to read that. Um, Look, I feel like a couple of players maybe endeared themselves to the Stamford Bridge faithful more than they have done in a while. Axel Dizazi, decent passing distribution from him, particularly in the first half. And and Enzo Fernandez in particular, that felt like his best performance maybe since opening day against Liverpool. Yeah, definitely. I think on commentary for TNT Sports, I believe it was Lucy Ward, but um, correct me if I'm wrong. She was um, quite rightly, I think, making a big deal of Enzo Fernandez kind of being in those deeper positions where he has often a little bit more time on the ball, you know, can pick his head up and and pick a pass over the top as you know for that sterling ball that i mentioned but also i think it's interesting because when he came he was playing as that sort of number 6 and people were saying oh you know he's playing well but you know actually he prefers to play higher up the pitch and then kind of at the start of this season he was often playing higher up the pitch and 
didn't seem to look as natural. So obviously he's still quite a young player, not many minutes games under his belt in terms of, you know, top European level, even though he's 22, I think. So not like super young. So I think there's an element to himself and Pochettino still finding, you know, where he fits best into this Chelsea team. And I think, you know, games like today, ostensibly, as we said, it was, you know, a very similar team to what Pochettino has picked before. You know, that kind of 4-2-3-1, Gallagher playing slightly more advanced, Caicedo then dropping in as a six, Enzo kind of in that, you know, left space position. But yeah, he, he did, for whatever reason, you know, Fulham didn't seem to want to press him, particularly in that first half, that highly. And he was able to dictate the game a little bit more. And that's kind of what Chelsea wanted. And I, you know, talk about players playing well. I thought his midfield partner, Moises Caicedo, Similarly, had a pretty good game. Obviously, did a couple of those sort of, you know, lunging fouls to give away free kicks in in poor positions. But I thought on the ball, I, th- I thought Kaysay did very, very well. Distribution good. And, and it's good to see a sort of growing partnership between Chelsea's two South American midfielders. Yeah, and we'll talk um, shortly about maybe how some of the returning players might ease the load on, on those likes of uh, Caicedo, Fernandez, and Gallagher who've been playing every week. I wanted to get a word though, Simon, if possible, on Georgia Petrovic because he's kind of gone under the radar, hasn't he? Which I guess is absolutely ideal from his perspective. Back-to-back clean sheets at home for him now. Um, this is a guy who, you know, earlier this season, as was for him, was playing against the likes of FC Cincinnati. He's made the step up pretty comfortably and actually made some key saves in this game, right? The Harry Wilson one in the first half, particularly at nil-nil. But as the game wore on, he was he was called into action in, in the final 10 minutes or so. And yeah, he's he's proving a capable deputy and, and maybe even somebody who's going to challenge Sanchez when he comes back fit to, to hold on to the number one spot. Yes, he's, he's taking his opportunity. Of course, gifted to him by, by Sanchez's injury, which who knows, maybe may prove to be a blessing in disguise for Chelsea, not so much for Robert Sanchez. Now, anyone who read Liam's interview with, with Kevin Hitchcock, his, his former coach, and of course Chelsea connection there, would sort of know that this no surprise. You know, Kevin spoke glowingly about Petrovic and said that he would become Chelsea number one soon enough. And he's certainly showing why he had such um, a glowing sort of feelings towards him. Um, he's not really put a foot wrong so far and long may it continue. Yeah, I mean, it's just great to see a goalkeeper coming from New England Revolution, you know, in the MLS to the Premier League and adapting so well, Matt. You know, if only that could be the same for all goalkeepers from New England Revolution in the MLS. Lucas decided this morning that (laughs) he's going to just troll me relentlessly about Forrest. Um, This is not really the day to do it because it's going to be a very bad day. But yes, Matt Turner has had a difficult time and Georgia Petrovic looks better than him. This I will concede. Anyway, let's not talk about Forrest. It will just make me sad. Let's get on to some more tweets. Jordan says, will Colwell move to centre-back when Chilwell is back up to strength or will Poch go back to playing him in the left wing position was interesting, wasn't it, Luke? And, and there was a bit of bit of uproar on Chelsea Twitter when Chilwell came on and didn't go in at left back. But was that more to do with the game state and thinking you'd rather have that bit more protection from midfield in, in Chilwell? Or, or do you see this as, as being where he's going to feature as he kind of did in pre-season, didn't he? Yeah, that was exactly my thoughts, Matt. It was the, the sort of game state argument that it offered a little bit more protection down that. Chelsea's left flank and and Fulham had obviously made a more attacking change down that side bringing on Timothy Castagna um, for Kenny Tetter who I think Castagna is definitely more adept at going forward so Chilwell kind of provided that that security blanket on that flank but as to the sort of wider point as to to where Chilwell 
is going to feature under Pochettino, <laughs> I really don't know. I feel like Pochettino was very much sticking to his guns earlier in the season. And Chilwell performed well, I think, uh, you know, in a couple of those games. But obviously, it's not a very popular move. And, you know, Sai's obviously written very recently off the back of that Middlesbrough game about, you know, Levi Colwell's struggles in the left-back position. But then, you know, Colwell, you know, turned in a much better performance against Fulham. But it's it's universal that Colwell could be playing a lot better at centre-back and, and should be playing there long-term. But, you know, it's good from a Chelsea perspective that Pochettino now has these selection issues whereas I think we've seen you know over the Christmas period and and for sort of the month or two beforehand you know particularly with regards to the sort of back line back four you know Pochettino has often just had to play you know the players that are available with various injuries and suspensions particularly in the fullback position so you know it's good that to have that kind of tactical flexibility in the squad and yeah it's great that Chilwell's fit Again, fit enough to play and, and hopefully he can get some some good minutes under his belt and, and not be rushed back uh, in the near future. And that's the key, right, Simon? What we know from Maurizio Pochettino and how Chelsea are treating the many, many players on the injury table when they come back is that he's not going to be saying, right, Ben Chilwell's a, a nailed-on starter for the next four games now. It is going to be drip-feeding him back into the team and... And sad as it is, he's proven that he's not a player that you can rely on to stay fit. So Pochettino can't really legislate for him being a, a fixture in the first team immediately or, or really at any point, I suppose, until he proves it. Yeah, and it is one of the points I made in that Levi Cole piece that even when Chilwell comes back, it's not like he can be relied upon to stay fit. You know, it's sad but true. I hope for his sake that that's the last of his serious injuries. But when someone keeps having these major injuries not just niggles um you do fear that there's another one around the corner you have to it's been a great shame for Chelsea that they've had basic two amazing wing backs uh stroke full backs the plan was that they'd be the full backs for a decade in Reese James and Ben Chilwell and and they've rarely played together for the last two years I mean it's it's going to be a story of what might have been you fear because, of course, now we've got Reese James out for pretty much the, till March at the earliest. So, yeah, will we see these two consistently playing together again? That That's something you have to uh, sadly ask yourself. But speaking positively, and <laughs> flip it round, to have someone of Chilwell's quality coming back for the second half of the campaign is, is a huge lift. It has to be. Noticeably, he was given the captain's armband when he came on. I think that's significant. Um, in his post-match interviews, he was talking about how he wants to be the leader of this team or one of the main leaders of this team to really take on that responsibility. And you did sort of feel when Chilwell was around the place earlier in the season that he was quite a character in that dressing room, one of the senior... Well, he has to be because he's one, one of the eldest, even at, what is he, 26? 27. 27 now. I think he's, what, the third oldest, essentially, um, behind Silver and Sterling. So, yeah, I I, I think it, it's good on that point as well, on that front as well. But uh, I just think it's good that you've got Chilwell coming back. Chuk Wemeka, I think, is also someone we should talk about because what have Chelsea lacked? They've lacked that sort of goal-scoring threat from, from a sort of attacking midfielder position. 
I think he can genuinely threaten Conor Gallagher's place in the side as well as Conor's played and as consistently as he's played. I think Chikwemeka does offer something better on the attacking uh, side of the game. Yeah, it's easy to forget, isn't it, Luke, that Carney actually started the first two games of the season and he was a big part of um, of pre-season as well once he got back from from the under-20 World Cup. And, and I guess the key thing that he can give Chelsea, as, as Simon alludes to there, is a goal-scoring threat. You know, Conor Gallagher, bless him, really unlucky not to score in this game hitting the post, but he hasn't got a goal yet this season. Neither is Caicedo, not really his job. Fernandez has got four, a couple of pens in there, but if Chukwemeka can offer an actual goal threat, that's going to ease the, the burden on the likes of Palmer. Yeah, definitely. And we saw Chukwemeka, you know, in that, in that defeat against West Ham, score that incredibly well-taken goal, just, you know, kind of coming in off that, off that left-hand side from an attacking midfield role. And, and certainly it's something, you know, he hasn't played that consistently at senior level, but there have been flashes, obviously most notably being that West Ham game, that he he can offer a goal threat. And obviously he's, you know, he's quite a tall guy, but, you know, still quite almost Havertz-esque in, in how lanky he is. Um, so, you know, hopefully he can be a presence in the box, coming in, crashing the box, uh, like we've seen, you know, many Chelsea midfielders do down the years. Yeah, have a assess, but maybe with a bit of end product, he said, getting the standard dig in. Sorry, Liam. Uh, Goody says, Gilchrist releasing his inner habit at the end of matches is unmatched, gets celebrated more than the goal. I think we're all really enjoying that. Uh, Sam wants to know, Simon, do you know if they're going anywhere for their mid-season break? So 10 days up, they've got three days to themselves, right? That's what Poch said post-match. Yeah, and we, we did, uh, if you read the Athletics we did a combined read last week on what the plans were for each club. Thankfully, Pochettino confirmed what I wrote. It's always, always a concern. But no, they're not going anywhere as a team, as a squad. Yes, they're allowed to go off for a few days abroad if they want. They've got to ask the club permission. I'm sure we'll see some photos on Instagram. Of, I was just going to say, head over to Instagram for all the latest from Dubai. Of, of some rather... Let's just say we'll we'll look at them bitterly. Well, I will anyway. <laughs> um, some luxurious retreat somewhere by pool. There's got to be a few pool shots, haven't there? Or, or certainly one with them wearing shades or something. But um, but no, Pochettino did explain that there's just not the time to go off, go away somewhere and and for it to be worthwhile as as a group because of the second leg against Middlesbrough. So yeah go away for a few days as in individuals then come back and they're going to have a full week's training essentially to prepare for the second leg. And I, and I think this is the right, right thing to be honest. This is no time to, to mess about with the jaunts abroad where you don't know what the facilities are going to be like. Could be a little bit kind of relaxed. It's not like teams who've got a full two weeks who can fit in a week and then still come back and adapt back to the, to your home conditions. So I think this is the right call. Yeah, just as long as none of them go to uh, any Salt Bay restaurants, mm. that's all I'm hoping for. Yeah, we had enough of that last season. Mikel Arteta has been, hasn't he? Um, elsewhere, away from the game, David Dattre Fafana has joined Burnley on loan. Uh, Luke, Burnley's admin had a really good run, didn't they, with those announcement videos, but that came to a crashing halt with this strange ET spoof that I did not understand at all. Can you explain it to me? Uh, no, I can't. But maybe maybe this is, you know, part of the FFP PSR cutbacks. You know, Burnley maybe have had to let a couple of their social media guys go. 
but yeah, it should be a good move for him. Hopefully he can get some some minutes under his belt. Obviously it's a difficult situation, kind of going from one relegation battle in Germany to one in England. But it's I think it's a good sign that he's he's managed to get this move. And I think best case scenario, if he does get Premier League minutes, you know, that will only increase his value to Chelsea or or you know any other clubs looking at him in the summer. Has anyone suffered a more contrasting sort of collapse of move in, in terms of destination than Datro Fafana <laughs> because he's gone from going to Sevilla, which is what, what was all lined up until they had to cancel that to allow Matson to get his loan to Dortmund, to Burnley. <laughs> I mean, that's, I just think, what a shocking compare and contrast, just, just weather-wise alone. I would put forth Anthony Robinson, who we saw at Stamford Bridge on Saturday, who failed a medical at AC Milan. And ended up at Fulham instead. Yeah, but I'm talking climate though, particularly climate, Matt. You know, like Seville's beautiful, like, pretty much all year round. Burnley, Burnley. Oh dear, don't get me started on Burnley. I'll, I'll, I'll offend all those Burnley listeners we've got. He's got to make it work though, right, Simon? Because there are all sorts of reports coming out about how he fell out with the coach at Union Berlin. Yeah, you know, he scored two goals there. This is an important move for him at 21 years of age. Yeah, and also a pretty damning indictment that, you know, Chelsea's aren't exactly blessed with forwards. We've already touched on Nkunku, and Chelsea didn't even think about saying, yeah, be part, you know, come and be part of the squad for the second half of the season. It was, it wasn't even a consideration. It was all about another loan. Yes, it, it felt like when Chelsea bought him that it was a bit of a punt. Or oh, let's see how we can develop this guy and, and see if. A, he becomes a Chelsea player, or B, can we make some money on him? Well, he's doing neither at the moment. I just sent him to Argyle, and then, you know, you could have really upped the promotion then, couldn't you? Give him to Plymouth on loan for the season, and yeah, we're talking Oscar nominations for sure. Uh, elsewhere in Chelsea news, the women's team returned to action on Sunday. They took on West Ham in the fourth round of the FA Cup. They needed extra time to get past them as well. They did go behind in the game. Me officially equalised with 20 minutes left before Erin Cuthbert and Sjöka Nuskin scored in extra time. Uh, the men's under-21s came out on the right side of a five-goal thriller against Manchester United in PL2 on Friday night. Danelle McNeely's brace had Chelsea two up before United pegged them back, but Tyreek George who's been excellent all season, stepped off the bench to win the game in stoppage time. Here's Chelsea Youth tweeting that George has a goal or assist every 57 minutes this season. 17 goals and five assists. Wonder if we might see him get on a first-team bench before too long. All right, that is going to do us for today's show. There's no game coming up this weekend for the men's first team. The women have got a big match against Manchester United. We will touch on that on Thursday's show, but we're also going to do a mailbag special. So if there's anything that you want to know about Chelsea, tweet us at SOCobbenPod and we will endeavour to get through as many as we can. Lucy will put out a tweet later in the week just to remind you as well about that. Uh, until then, plenty of great stuff up on The Athletic for you to go and check out. Athletic.com slash ChelseaPod, the place to go to subscribe if you aren't currently and if you could leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your pods that would be much appreciated too and help other Chelsea supporters find the show that'll do us for today though many thanks to Luke to Simon to Liam for his contribution and to Lucy for putting it all together back with you later in the week bye for now The Athletic